In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet Following the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption And the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality Coming to you from the Great White North And his studio beneath the stairs Here's Richard Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. And if you'd like to get deeper into Strange Planet, it's real simple. Just click on the link in the episode description, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. And uh, there are three monthly subscriber tiers to choose from. Choose the one that's right for you. You gain access to commercial-free listening, although I love my sponsors. You also uh, can um, gain access to bonus episodes, special bonus episodes produced just for premium subscribers. And you get a subscription to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. All right. For those of you on Rumble, that's where we're headed. The Persistence of the Soul. It's a captivating work, and it delves into psychic medium phenomena, spiritual or spirit visitations, afterlife communication, reincarnation, synchronicity, and near-death experiences. And my guest has, through meticulous research and heartfelt introspection, woven together a narrative that underscores the continuity of consciousness beyond the confines of the physical body. 
This is uh, ultimately really the only topic that matters. What happens after we die? Mark Ireland is the co-founder of Helping Parents Heal, an organization with more than 24,000 members that assists bereaved parents worldwide. He's participated in mediumship research studies uh, conducted by the University of Arizona and University of Virginia, and he currently operates a medium certification program. He is the author of Soul Shift, and again, his latest is The Persistence of the Soul, Medium, Spirit Visitations, and Afterlife Communication. Mark Ireland, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You actually got your copy before I've even seen the finished printed copy. <laughs> How about that? There you go. Well, that's what it looks like, Mark. If you're it looks great. <laughs> it does. It looks great. Uh, so we should begin with the death of your son. Uh, tell us about him. Sure. Um, my youngest son, Brandon, um, he was 18 years old at the time. And on this particular day, I had been out of town for work the prior week, <clears throat> came home, and he had in, uh, indicated he would plan to hike to the top of the McDowell Mountains in Scottsdale, Arizona, where we were living, which was behind our home. And uh, I felt a little uneasy about it. And later on that morning, I felt almost like I got this premonition or something like something could go wrong. I tried to talk him out of going. He went anyway. And his parting words to me, hey, dad, we're going, you know, like back off. And at that point, it's like, look, maybe I'm just being a worried dad for no good reason. But we had gone across town uh, to some other event. And later in the day, I got this distress call. We came rushing back. And by the time we got to the base of the mountains, there was a swarm of people, fire trucks, ambulance. Um, later, a helicopter came down, found out um, Brandon had um, had basically died on the top of the mountain didn't know why or what had happened. Uh, talked to his best buddy who had tried to revive him. And uh, he had just said that his uh, limbs had, were numb and he was complaining of a rapid heartbeat. Uh, but he really didn't know what was wrong. And um, and that was what had happened. Um, and kind of the beginning stages of some of the signs and synchronicities and my plunging back into this this field, uh, which was really my dad's field mm -hmm. of psychic phenomena mediumship, happened after that. And we can get into that at whatever point you'd like. Well, first of all, uh, you know, as a father of uh, twin, soon to be 17 year olds, uh, I am so sorry for your loss. I, I cannot imagine uh, well, thank you, what you went through. Um, so you mentioned your father the late Dr. Richard Ireland, who was a uh, bit of a renowned psychic medium himself. Just tell us a little bit about your dad. And, you know, he worked with some real luminaries in the entertainment industry. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, he started out, I think, really his abilities were discovered when he was about five years old. He was born in uh, near Columbus, Ohio, and he was born cross-eyed. So my grandma, grandparents had taken him into the children's hospital there in Columbus for corrective surgery on his eyes. And after the surgery had been completed, he was laying in a bed and he was actually restrained because they were concerned. His eyes were cupped and bandaged. They didn't want him touching them. And a nurse came by and felt sorry for him and asked, uh, and he, he basically pleaded with her to let him out of the bed. And she said she let him out if he promised not to touch the bandages. So he, he agreed to that. She went on her rounds, came back and found him bouncing a ball against the wall and catching it and thinking, oh, my God, he's taken off the bandages. But he hadn't. 
So that was almost even more disturbing to her. And then she rounded up some physicians to have them observe this. And then they put him in bed and tried some different exercises to see, you know, what was going on. So they'd have one stand at the foot of the bed and another talk from the doorway and ask who was, ask him who was staying at the foot of the bed. And he always got it correct. So, you know, that was kind of the early sign from my family that there was something different about my dad. And then by the time he was 13, he actually uh, did his first, I guess you would call a public demonstration in a spiritualist circle. He'd stumbled into the spiritualist camp at that young age and uh, observed some, uh, like a medium basically doing what he would later do in life. Uh, and the man had told him some something about a good friend of his that had just died and shared a secret code name that only the two boys knew. So my dad was really fascinated and and intrigued by this. And the man told him he would someday be doing what he's doing. So fast forward, my dad ended up uh, doing the uh, Morse Pratt Institute, uh, which was to become uh, or the ordination process for the spiritualist National Spiritualist Association of Churches. And then he was like a traveling minister and he would demonstrate his abilities in various church, spiritualist churches around the U.S. And then eventually, um, he was, you know, felt like it was still too dogmatic for him. And he wanted a place that would be a church that was really open and let people form their own opinions and and um, their own belief structure without as much dogma. So he founded something called the University of Life Church in 1960 in Phoenix, Arizona. And then he met a lot of people over the years, one of which was May West in 1952. He was introduced by Jack Kelly, who was a famous uh, spiritualist medium of the day. And then um, he, my dad, eventually after Kelly had passed, um, he reconnected with May and became her personal psychic. And then I don't know if it was through that channel or others, but he ended up, you know, counseling others like uh, David Jan. These are older names: David Jansen, or the future. Amanda Blake, Amanda Blake, who was Miss Kitty on Gunsmoke. Oh yes, I met I met her. I met May West actually when I was nineteen. It was pretty cool. I got to go into her apartment and go on a tour. Uh, so. My dad's abilities were really unique. I've not seen anybody like him since his passing. I think the closest I've seen is Gordon Smith, who's a psychic medium out of Scotland. But my dad could get first and last names, very specific information about people who had passed. But mainly he was uh, he was prominent during the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. And back then, you know, you really didn't talk about medium stuff very much. It was more psychic phenomena and dealing with parapsychology and he's seeking credibility through, you know, the work that was done by people like Dr. J.B. Ryan at Duke University Parapsychology Lab and that sort of thing. So he would do psychic demonstrations and things like that. There's one actually, if people want to see it, they can go to my website. There's a link at the bottom of the front of the uh, front page, just says uh, see Richard Ireland in action. But that's uh, an appearance he made on the Steve Allen show in 1971 that was pretty impressive. And it's representative of what he would do. So I grew up with this stuff. And even from a young age, I, I just tell you that when my son passed, it helped me so much to have seen the evidence that I'd seen, not just the psychic stuff, but where my dad would spontaneously start delivering very specific messages to people pertain, pertaining to people who had passed that were their loved ones. So it gave me a real confidence beyond just like like a religious belief that where you're required to completely have blind faith. 
but I actually had more what I would felt was proof or evidence like, hey, there is something more than what we see here living in this physical domain. So that's a little bit about my dad and where I was coming from at the time my son passed and how it helped me kind of bridge that a little better than probably the average person. That's a remarkable, remarkable story. Were there other uh, people in your family, because sometimes this is generational, other uh, members of your family who were psychic? Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that too, because uh, Dr. Julie Beichel of Winbridge, she uh, has stated, and I've already known this, that you know it is it does follow family lines. So my great my great grandmother apparently had this. My grandmother ended up having it as well. And then my uncle, who was my dad's younger brother, had it. In fact, it was just days after my son Brandon's passing that I spoke with my uncle. Um, actually, I spoke to him the day of the passing, but we didn't know the cause of death. He called me several days later, or I called him. I can't remember which it was when I was in the mortuary making arrangements. And he told me, he said, hey, Mark, I've got something to share with you. Um, he says, you know, last night I tried to make a connection um, through meditation, but I couldn't get anything. But this morning I got up doing my morning meditation and your dad came to me and he wanted you to know that he was there when Brandon passed. And he he, he said Brandon was a little confused what was going on, but he helped him adjust, helped him cross over. Brandon wanted you to know that you're the best parents he ever could have had. And that's the thing we like to hear. But what he gave me along with that was the evidence. And that's what I'm all about. Uh, he said, you know, Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen in his bloodstream that eventually causes heart to fail. Um, it was a couple of days after that, that I spoke to the physician who conducted the autopsy. She told me my son had died from a severe asthma attack that drove his blood oxygen levels down, causing cardiac arrest. So my uncle actually told me two days or three days before the autopsy result. So that was really the first thing bringing me back into my dad's world and his realm and his field and, and something that I shared with everyone we knew that was of great comfort. So with your son's uh, passing, um, did this sort of push you into further investigation of afterlife communication and, and um, more of what your father was doing? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because I was always proud of my dad and I appreciated his work and I bring friends to see him and things like that. But I went down a different path in life. How many of us really want to be our parent, right? So I went into the, I got a college degree. I got married young, went into the business world and was doing well. But this kind of shook me up and said, hey, it's time to reassess where you're headed in life. And I, I haven't gotten out of the business world, but my focus is different now and I'm not so absorbed into that and so focused on just worldly achievement, I would say. Um, so that brought me really out of you know um, intrigue and interest. I remembered everything I'd seen growing up and my dad's abilities, but I wanted to see, you know, who does this today? <clears throat> what are they like? You know, how does it work for them? And can I make connection? You know, and 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 I would say one of the earliest things that happened, which was really interesting, I was watching. Um, an excerpt on the local Phoenix area NBC affiliate, and they were showing um, about a study that was going on at the University of Arizona at the time, where they were um, testing mediums under blinded conditions where they couldn't see the sitter. The sitter is the person who's seeking messages. From is that uh, Gary Schwartz? Gary Schwartz? Yeah, it, it was Gary at the time. And, and um, 
And actually, um, Julie Beichel started out as an assistant in the lab, but she founded Winbridge years later, and she does her own thing. And her work is meticulous. So I was watching this thing about Gary and his work. And at the time, they showed a clip with Alison Dubois. Now, most people would know her name from the show Medium, which was a Hollywood production. The early episodes actually were based on true accounts that she was involved with. But um, it was the real Alison Dubois that the story is about that was um, that was on this clip. And the information she was sharing with this couple that she couldn't see or communicate with was later validated by the couple. It was really specific stuff. And I thought, well, she's really good. I'd really enjoy having a, a session with her. And I'd love to be in that lab. Well, little did I know both of those things were going to transpire. The very next day, I get a call out of the blue from a man in Dallas, Texas, named Jerry Conser, who had been in friends with my father. And he said, hey, Mark, I know what you've been through, and I know someone who may be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois, and here's a phone number you can call to make an appointment. So I thought that was a rather synchronistic kind of event. And then um, about six months later, I, I was working on my first book, and um, an agent that I had, or it was actually a a writer, uh, an editor that was working with me, she reached out to the lab to see if I could get in there. And lo and behold, by February of 2005, I did get in there for an experiment as a test sitter that was filmed for a Discovery Channel uh, feature. Um, and people could see that on my website as well. We can talk about that later. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where it went. And that's, uh, you know, I do have a family full of these folks and I've had my own experiences as well. Well, let's talk about... Um... Prior to, let's say, going to a, a medium, um, any contact with your with your son, Brandon? Well, there's a couple things that happened that were pretty remarkable. So that's where I feel like we're my, um, not just belief, but knowledge of the truth of this. Go, It's not just because I relied on one medium reading or this. It was a multi-layered kind of thing where we had a number of different things happen. I'd say the very first thing was I really wanted my own kind of personal connection. So within a, it was within a day or two of his passing, I decided to go in. I went into a, a large closet, shut the door where it was pitch black, sat down and tried to meditate. And I'm not a great meditator, but in this case, I just kind of prayed for a connection. And um, while sitting there, in if in my mind's eye, I'm looking at the back of my forehead as a screen, which is how my dad described his ability. I saw an image of my son go by smiling like he was joyful and happy. But right after that was a cross with an oval loop at the top. And I'd seen those, but I really didn't know what they were. So it made me then go to Google after this experience and look up what that was. And I found that it's called an Ankh and it's the oldest cross of human history the lower portion representing physical life and the oval loop at the top representing eternal life. So what I got was my son in a joyful state, followed by a symbol I had to decipher, which for me being somewhat skeptical and wanting to, you know, <laughs> analytical, look up and find out what it meant that it confirmed, hey, dad, I'm okay, you know, I'm in eternal life. So that was one, that was really probably the first thing that happened. So that was a, a nice starting point. Uh, six months after, and and actually, I, I did speak to an intuitive two weeks after who told me that within six months, I would see him at the side of our bed. So six months later, um, my wife and I go on a cruise with our older son, Stephen, 
and Brandon's best friend. Brandon was going to go on this for his high school graduation, but since he wasn't physically able to, we took his buddy and our older son. So after seven days, we get back. Uh, we we get into the house. My wife is sitting at the bed. So this prediction turns out to be true, but not exactly uh, the way it was described because my wife had the experience, not me. She's sitting at the foot of our bed and she feels our son Brandon's presence and sees him as a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision. Now, confirming this is kind of interesting because the very next day we get a call from a man named James Linton. James was a musician who had borrowed Brandon's bass guitar. Brandon was a bassist and he was recording in his home studio some new material and wanted to borrow the bass. And we had actually initially met James because he'd been on the mountain the day of Brandon's passing and his group got there and tried to help, but was too late. So James, from that point, he connected with us through an online obituary, basically leaving a message. Hey, reach out to me if you want to know more, which we did. And then we became friends. So here it is the day after Susie's experience where she sees her son as a shadow figure. James calls the next morning and says, hey, Susie, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you. And she thinks he's going to say he broke the base or something. But wow. he says, he says, um, well, I was in my rec studio recording and I felt like there was another presence in the room with me. And uh, as I was playing this, I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. I also fla saw flashes of white light. I thought I was hallucinating. So I went and got water. Then I took a shower. I got something to eat. But each time I came back, it got stronger and stronger. And he said, finally, I said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And at that point, he somehow felt guided to reshape the song he was working on, redo the lyrics and change the bass line. And he, he's left-handed. Brandon was right-handed, so he's playing this bass upside down. But he uh, ended up composing a song called The Other Side or or on the other side. And he, he said, this is the best song I've ever written, but I didn't write it. Um, so those are two events that were outside of the mediumship readings that happened within the first six months, which were very remarkable and very comforting. Very remarkable. Uh, absolutely incredible. The persistence of the soul. Mark Ireland is here. We'll take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, discuss further. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Mark Ireland is here. The, resist the persistence of the soul medium, spirit visitations, and afterlife communication. At this point, where are you in your grieving process? It's just been, what, six, six months? Well, no. Well, yeah. You know what I'm describing to you is what happened back then, but I'm I'm dec I'm more than a decade into it now. Right, but at the uh, yeah at the time yeah. when um, it was about six months, I guess. Correct. Yeah, what I'm describing to you is six months into it, and uh, I hadn't had my first mediumship reading at that point yet because I thought Allison Dubois was going to happen faster than it did. That did occur later in the fall. It was remarkable. And I had one the same year with Linda Williamson, who was a prominent medium out of England. She's since retired, but both of those were really um, earth shattering for me <laughs> and, and kind of led me on, on the path. But um, yeah, it brought me back into my dad's field, looking at this through a, a variety of different lenses with an analytical mind, but an open mind. And, um, and yeah, it was about, like you said, at the six month point that, 
that experience had happened with my wife. And and again, at that point, where were you in, in your grieving process? I would say we were way ahead of the average parent who has had a child pass. Um, I think it's a combination of things. One thing, and, and you'd mentioned at the beginning that I co-founded this organization called Helping Parents Heal, which has blossomed into this massive thing with 100 affiliate locations or chapters around the world now and 25,000 members. We had our first ever conference um, in Phoenix a year and a uh, a year ago, we're going to have another one in 2024 with 900 attendees. We sold out. Um, but I, through this, I've observed what helped me heal and what has helped a lot, of, a lot of other folks heal. It's a combination of, you know, support from loved ones, uh, meeting with people who have been through the same thing and, and support from them and where you can ex- have an open exchange of of your situation, your experiences. Um, it's it's service too. It's learning to you know serve others in a positive way because it kind of comes back to help you. It's letting go of, I guess I would say, uh, self blame or feelings of hate or unforgiveness towards others that you maybe assign blame to. But the last piece, which is really the big piece, I think, is the hope piece, and that's where all this stuff comes in because it provides you with hope. Um, that goes beyond what the world wants you to believe, you know, just in the secular, humanistic, atheistic kind of lens, or even the fundamentalist religious traditions that ask you to believe in things that don't really make a lot of sense to everybody. Uh, But rather, you know, I took a path of personal experience to confirm my own um, knowledge and, and belief system. But we were way ahead of that because of these factors. So tell me about then your your first um, successful, let's say, meeting with a, with a medium. Yeah, ironically, they were actually all successful, even though I was pretty guarded going in and trying to make sure they didn't know anything about me or at least a minimal amount. Uh, the first one was actually, as I recall, Alison Dubois. I'd say one of the most remarkable things about that was two weeks before I went into that reading, Someone who knew my father handed me a typewritten manuscript. It was a box full of eight and a half by 11 inch pages typewritten. It was called Your Psychic Potential, a Guide to Psychic Development by Dr. Richard Ireland, dated 1973. I'm like, well, where'd you get this? And he, and he said, well, your dad, before his passing, asked me to keep this safe for him because um, you were out of state at the time. I said, well, that was 12 years ago. Why are you giving this to me today? Because I never even heard of this. And he says, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. I said, okay. So two, fast forward two weeks, I go to meet Allison Dubois. One of the first things she says to me is, well, I have your father here and he showed me a book, but I, I think it's his book, but it's for you to take forward. Does that make sense to you? And I'm like, yep, I, I get it. <laughs> um, you know, and I end up, getting that book published in 2011, which was pretty cool. Um, mm. And um, But in addition to that, she did br- give me a number of um, affirmations about my son and things. Like she had described that she felt like uh, his chest was uh, filled with water or like it was like a drowning. Um, and actually the autopsy vis- physician had said that um, cases like my son's, it, when you have that oxygen deprivation, the lungs expand, trying to capture more oxygen, almost touching in the middle. And that only happens in drownings or severe asthma cases. So the sensation she got was exactly correct. She also got uh, a number of other things pertaining to my um, 
my family, um, my my wife's name, my uh, sister-in-law's name, um, and some other things that that were helpful. So that was, um, and that's going back quite a way. So I'm I'm just trying to call the memory of everything, but it was it was really phenomenal as a first experience. And I was very guarded. I probably could have had an even better session if I'd have been a little more open. Um, but I was, I was guarded because I wanted to make sure it was completely legit and there was no cold reading involved or anything like that. And I ended up using content from that reading as a chapter in my first book, Soul Shift. So um, it, it was really a, a remarkable first experience. And that kind of spurred me to, to find other people and to meet some of the people that do the research too. And get more in, involved. So that was one of the early steps in my journey. Um, at what point, uh, if at all, did you get sort of a clear communication uh, through a medium uh, from from Brandon? I'd say it's you know what I found with my dad was really the best communicator, and I think that's because he used to do it in life. So maybe when you're on the other side, it, whatever those laws of physics or whatever are. Um, he probably understands that better, but I, I got, I got good communication from Brandon. It was more bits and pieces, I'd say early on. Whereas with my dad, I was getting like whole big picture kind of stuff. Um, but I, I did get good affirmations along the way. One, um, I'll just jump ahead here a little bit, like a uh, medium I let, met later, Jamie Clark, he had brought up a, a photograph. He has, you know, he described my son's passing. And in fact, a number of the, I think three or four, the first four all described the circumstances of his passing, kind of the, the surroundings. Jamie had talked about this desert area and him laying on his back and all this kind of stuff. And then he says, uh, your son is showing me a photo and it's of him and his brother arm in arm. And they're like at the top of a pass and it's real green. It looks like Hawaii. And I didn't recall that, but Shortly thereafter, I went into a drawer and was pulling out old photos from a trip to Hawaii. And lo and behold, I find this photo of the two of them arm in arm uh, at a pass in Hawaii, which actually that's even better than getting something that I already knew or was top of mm -hmm. mind because someone could allege telepathy with me. So it clearly wasn't a case of that. It was giving me something that I kind of had to dig up, almost like going back to the Ankh thing I mentioned earlier, where, mm -hmm. OK, here's here's a little project for you, Dad. Go find this. Um, and then, you know, the one when I finally got into the lab at U of A for the um, the reading, it was with a medium named Lori Campbell, who's outstanding. She's top tier, but it was blind. She didn't know who I was. She didn't know who she was reading for. She was just given a few basics like, um, you know, the sitters. Well, she wasn't even in my name. She just was asked questions about certain deceased people. And so the first one she was asked about was someone named Brandon. And then she had brought forth like, well, I feel like the person behind me um, is maybe writing about him. And I was, I was writing the, the book Soul Shift and it was largely about Brandon, his life and all these experiences. And she says, well, I feel like she was asked for his cause of death. And she so said, my chest area, I feel like my chest, like, um, it's it's I can't breathe uh, and I feel like I want to throw up. Well, Brandon's buddy uh, who had tried to resuscitate him said that just before Brandon passed out, he did throw up. He vomited. Um, and she uh, she said that the his school had done something for him, like a tree with a plaque. 
Well, he went to Saguaro High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, a young man who, I don't know if he's a friend or just being kind, but he sculpted a metal bass guitar. And it was put there with a plaque with Brandon's name and a, a Pink Floyd verse mm-hmm. on it. And then a tree was planted behind that. So these are things she couldn't have known, obviously. Uh, so there was, you know, a lot of good detail and, and information that was shared in those early sessions. And then, you know, even after Soul Shift was written, I had other experiences. I think the one that was most touching of all is actually documented in Persistence of the Soul. It was with a medium named Tina Powers, who's based in Tucson. Share, please, if you can. Yeah, that one, um, there was just so much there, even early on. I was brought to that reading by a friend that lived in Tucson and she was like begging me to go meet this Tina Powers. <laughs> and she said that, um, you know, you got to meet her. She's phenomenal. And, and so she says, I've set up this, this reading for myself. Will you please come? And I had a two hour drive. I said, all right. So I just went down to give her moral support. So we sit down with Tina. Tina looks surprised. Like, who's this guy? What's he doing here? This is your reading. So um, she introduces me by first name. We sit down and Tina starts to go in for her. And she says, I'm sorry, but I have to turn my attention to him. I feel like this reading's for him. And so the whole thing happened for me at that point. Um, and she went on, she says, um, well, the first thing I'm feeling, I'm being taken across the ocean and I feel like I'm in Ireland. And I said, well, I think that's a clue because that's my last name. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she went on about, uh, a number of things. Um, but I think the most touching thing was I was, I don't want to hurt anyone's feeling. There's someone I was working with at the time on a project and um, Tina had named what this person's occupation was and said that um, because we had had kind of a, a rift over this whole situation with this woman and Tina basically took on my son's persona and said, uh, she didn't get it. She didn't get it, dad exactly as my son would have said it. So it was almost like it was channeling him directly after giving me the specifics about the person, their role, what they did for a living and all this kind of stuff. Um, that was really touching. She also talked about, you know, uh, research that had been done on my dad because I was trying to dig up because he had often talked about being tested in various labs, uh, looking up information that, um, I was trying to find this and that she said that I would find, and I did turn up some of these, these things, including um, one of the most remarkable one was actually a uh, newspaper article from 1972 from the Tuscaloosa, Alabama times. I think it was called the Tuscaloosa times or news. Um, and a man named Helmut Schmidt, who was the number two man who worked for the Duke uh, parapsychology lab back in the day, under J.B. Ryan, he was the director. He had gone um, and he had made mention in this article about, ha- you know, that he felt like the, the lab could have gotten even better results if they'd used professional psychics, where J.B. Ryan was always hesitant to do that. He was afraid of someone would try and trick him or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, they held the controls. So really there shouldn't have been any chance of that happening anyhow. But Helmut Schmidt had made mention of going to see this psychic, Dr. Richard Ireland. And he said that um, he he was there and he decided to do his own test on my father. So it's kind of for Duke, but an unofficial one for Duke. Um, he had gone to like three different tables of people. And he said, uh, give me a number, one to 10. 
So he wrote a number for each table. One was three, the next gave him eight, the next gave him five. So he took the number 385, wrote it in red ink, put it in a sealed envelope. Meantime, my father, as part of his demonstration, would cover his eyes with 10 strips, 10 strips of Johnson Johnson medical tape, which if you've ever used it, is extremely sticky. It'll pull any hair off when it when it's removed. So it seals tight against over his eyes, down. He even cover his nose in case people would allege that he could look through his nostrils or something crazy like that. <laughs> Three opaque black blindfolds and then more tape down covering his cheek here. So there's no way he could, even if somebody would allege, oh, you could somehow still see through the blindfolds. It was taped below that, covering that bottom. So Schmidt, he takes this envelope and sends it up to, to the uh, lectern where my dad was. And... Um, and it, along with these other messages, which are called billets that he would give people messages to. Um, and um, my dad grabbed the envelope without opening it and said, oh, you want to know what's in this? It's the number 385 written in red ink. And so Schmidt's just blown away. And he's like, well, you know, the odds against this are millions to one. So that was his argument that they should have brought some professional psychics in for the research. But, you know, my dad, during those demonstrations, he would get papers from a variety of people with different questions, but he would go way off what was written on the paper, give them a lot more information, naming occupations, marital situations, children, pending birth dates. He'd predict births of children that were accurate and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, and then occasionally, but not usually at these kind of uh, demonstrations, he would do a little mediumship if it just came to him, if it was like somebody touched in. Um, so anyhow, I kind of dragged that out a bit, but uh, that's, that's that. <laughs> that is that indeed. The persistence of the soul. Um, Mark, we'll take another time out, come back and uh, talk a, a little bit about the uh, medium certification program. Back with more of our conversation right after these. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website, strangeplanet.ca. And we're here with Mark Ireland. The new book is The Persistence of the Soul, Mediums, Spirit Visitations, and Afterlife Communication. Sounds like you have had tremendous success with mediums and doesn't need to be stated, but I mean, it's obvious there are so many charlatans out there Tell me about this medium certification pro certification program. Is that to, to sort of, I don't know, weed out the charlatans or what is it? What is it all about? Yeah, you're pretty much on target. It's what I actually think there's a lot more deluded people than there are charlatans. There are charlatans and I've come upon a couple of them. Um, but I think there's a lot more people that think that they have this and they either don't or they have very little of it. I think we all have some psychic capacity. It's just a question of how much. So really what it comes down to is find the people that are most gifted. And like you said, I think it runs in family lines. I think the people that are best at it are born with it and aren't just trying to become one later through exercises and workshops and things like that. And the people that are the very best, like my dad, you know, they're born with it. Plus they work on development as well and to refine it over time. But this all kind of started when I launched or when my first book, Soul Shift, came out. Um, I had a lot of folks coming to me. And then later with the Helping Parents Heal organization, when it first got off the ground, they wanted to have an experience with a medium. Um, so either people had said they went to somebody that wasn't that good. 
So they got a little bit, but they weren't convinced or they hadn't been yet. And they wanted to know how to find a good medium. And initially I was just stirring them to the good people that I knew, but a lot of them like Alison Dubois, I mean, they're celebrities now um, and they have huge wait lists, like people like Suzanne Giesman, I know. And um, I, you know, there's a number of them, but the thing is that like, some of these folks not only would have two-year wait lists, but they were expensive because that was their full-time op occupation and they were celebrities. And that was kind of a way really of, of limiting how many people would book as well. So initially I was steering people to some of those, but a lot of folks just couldn't afford that or they didn't want to wait a year or two to get a reading. So I thought, you know what, there have to be other people out there that are undiscovered that have this ability that are really good. So what I did then, I reached out to to a couple of friends in the field of research. I had, like, as you mentioned earlier, I had been through um, and been participated, participated in a study that was done by Dr. Emily Williams Kelly of the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. And I learned a little bit about the protocols she used in her experiment. And then I went over to my friend, Tricia Robertson, who's with the S uh, Scottish Society of Psychical Research. She's done some outstanding research herself. So I bounced ideas and I developed protocols based on the feedback I got. And then I've refined them because this has been going on. I've been doing this for nine years now and I've certified about 40 people. Um, and what I do now is really they each medium that applies, they have to go through five blinded readings via Zoom with no video. Um, and they're just given a first name of the sitter. The sitter has been instructed in terms of what they can, how they can respond it's got to be you know, yes, no, but not really elaborating at length, things like that. And so what, what happens is this reading will start. The medium shares anything they get initially. And then um, then the sitter is allowed to ask for contact, maybe with a person sharing only a first name. And then the medium continues on. And all this is recorded. Uh, the audio recording takes place. And then when it's concluded, uh, then the sitter can ask a few questions or whatever. Um, but, you know, after once their identity has been revealed or they've turned the video on, then, the you know, the the part that's used for the certification is no longer applied. We then take the recording. It's transcribed. And then the sitter's responsibility is to go through it and really grade the accuracy of the statements. Um, and, and they're grading either correct, incorrect, indeterminable, like maybe they may get a prediction about something that hasn't happened yet. Um, or they can assign a bonus, either a two-point or a five-point bonus, depending on what it is. So, for example, let's say the medium says, okay, your son's name starts with an A, and the name is Alan. Okay, maybe you give a two-point bonus for that. Right. But if they say, hey, your son's name was Alan, then it's a five-point bonus. And then if they say, hey, Alan's favorite food was pizza, maybe you give two points, but it's his favorite food was pizza with anchovies, pepperoni, and olives. <laughs> That's five point bonus. Okay. So that kind of gives you a flavor of it, but it's basically then statistically graded. And I've set the barometer a minimum passing score of 75. So that could either mean 75% accurate, or it could mean um, a minimum 65% accurate plus bonus points that get them over 75. Um, and what we do is we set aside the indeterminable statements unless there's an inordinate amount of those. They can have no more than one third of the statements be indeterminable because then it's like, okay, look, if half the things you say are indeterminable, it's not really a good reading.
Right. Um, but but at the same time, you're going to get stuff that maybe we can't verify because the the parent maybe or whoever the sitter is um, doesn't know the answer because it, the answer pertains to somebody who lives in Europe or something like that, or it's a future prediction. So that's the methodology. But I will say, you know, I've I've probably had half a dozen people score in the 90s to 100 range using that that methodology. So I've got some really good people. Uh, conversely, I've had some people that just eat by. And I've increased the standard or upped it two times um, over the years just to make it harder because I really want to get the very best people on there uh, because, you know, I'm doing this as out of my, I'm doing it as a, as a public service. I don't make anything. I don't charge anything. I have, you know, if the mediums charge money, that's between them and the sitter. I don't have any financial uh, tie to this. I've invested all my own money to develop the protocol the uh, website, maintain the website. So I put thousands of dollars into this and it's a public service. And so where can we see this list of these are the grade A um, psychic mediums? Where where can we find so them? All of them who've passed, I don't designate, hey, here's the ones who scored the highest medium or low, but the, the, the uh, people who have readings from them can go on and grade them and put ratings in. Um, my website is markirelandauthor.com. And there's a link there to the, the certified medium site. So rather than confuse people, if they just go to my website, they'll find links to not only um, the certified medium site, but they'll find a link to um, the, the videos for my dad if they want to see him in action. And then other, um, they could see the Discovery Channel clip there as well. Persistence of the soul, mediums, spirit visitations, and afterlife communication. Mark, how do we get a copy? Well, it comes out on October 3rd, so um, it's going to be on Amazon. My publisher is Inner Traditions, so you go to the Inner Traditions website. Barnes & Noble will have it. Um, so, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, they probably sell 80%, 90% of all the books, especially Amazon these days, um, mm -hmm. or Inner Traditions, you can buy direct from my publisher. And then I'm sure there will be a lot of small bookstores that will have it. If you go to my website, I've got links to all the retailers. All right, Mark, what a delight. What an, an amazing story. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you, and, and thanks for being a great host. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.